0: Revelation chapter five, beginning verse nine, reads like this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seal, its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom. And priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders with the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and I heard every There's going to be a scene in heaven one day, and John got to see it ahead of time, and I don't know if you caught it in there, but every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, he's he's speaking of the demonic realm, he's speaking of those who reject Christ will worship and say, worthy is this lamb. The question isn't whether you're going to worship Christ. The question is, when are you going to do it? That's the question. And he's worthy. He's so worthy. This morning, before I even began, I I wanted to read that passage to you because unless, like last week we said, we, we began to look up and recognize who Christ is, we can't deal with anything else in our life. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Colossians chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses five through nine today more intently. <clears throat> the overall text is verses one through eleven. <clears throat> now I have a confession to make before I share this story with you. I, I'm not a farm person. I didn't grow up on the ranch. In fact, the people out there would call me a city boy. I'm a city boy. I, I don't know. I mean, I've baled hay a little bit by hand, you know, throwing bales. I've done a few little bitty things, but I, I don't know much about ranching or farming, but I know what people told me. And uh, Michelle and I, like I said, we met in San Angelo. And if you don't know much about San Angelo, it's known as the mohair capital of the world. There, there's sheep out there, and it's, it's known for that. And so I got to hear a few stories about sheep while I was there. This is one of them. And I, I don't know if you recall in the bible you probably do who does god compare us to the most sheep why because sheep are dumb i don't mean to insult you i'm insulting me too sheep are not the brightest animal on the planet okay they need a shepherd why do they need a shepherd well one of the things i learned is is when when sheep began to feed they put their head down and they they go, oh, that's a yummy blade of grass, and they eat that one, and they look up and say, oh, there's another one, and they go eat that one, and so on and so on. And they can wander all day eating a blade of grass, and they need a shepherd to call their name when it's time to come back. And when the shepherd calls, they, they look up, and if they're paying attention and they know their shepherd well, they come back to him. You know, as God's sheep, sometimes we just keep our head down, don't we? He's calling our name but we're not listening to his voice. He wants to lead us home to safety, but are we hearing him? This is what Jesus said about his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me, right? So if you're a child of the Lord, you hear his voice and you follow him. Since believers are are called to make disciples, we we must be able to lead other people well. The best way to lead others and to make disciples is to listen to the voice of God and obey what he asks us to do. Fathers, you are called to be the shepherd of your family. That is not your wife's job of discipleship for the whole family. Unfortunately, we have made church to be out to be more a thing for our wives and mothers and other people, and we've not stood up and led like we should in the past. So guys, pay close attention today about breaking free from your past. We bring a lot of tradition with us that just ought not be so. To break free from the past, you must lead people to understand where they must put their eyes. And that's an important thing to do. You must first look up. If you're like that sheep and you're eating the grass and you hear that voice, the first thing you need to do is look up and you see the shepherd. We've been talking about that and that's what we talked about last week. Look up and recognize where Christ is, where he's seated in the heavenlies, at the right hand of the power of the throne of God. Today we're going to talk about looking out for the sins that will entangle us and and trap us, and Paul warns of those. And so before we look at this passage, I want us to pray and ask God to help us to see and to be able to evaluate ourselves honestly. This is not the morning you need to be looking at someone else, okay? So let's pray before we do that. Father, help us, God, to see you today. God, help us to look up and see Christ, the one, the only one who's worthy of worship the only one who died to pay for our sins, the one who was the just who p- became unjust, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God, I pray that you would teach us according to your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. God, I pray that you would not use my words or my thoughts or my opinions, but only yours today. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We'll read the first 11 verses. If it sounds familiar, that's good. You were paying attention last week. If it doesn't, pay attention this time. Here we go. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator." Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You may be seated. So this passage of scripture today, um, I, I want you to keep the whole text in context, okay? so And that's why I want to read through all of it. And I know we're breaking it up in sections, but just, just stay with me, okay? We'll get through it. Today, we're going to talk about looking out for the sins in our lives. Last week, we looked, talked about looking up, and then eventually, we're going to hit the, the last of it and realize who we are in Christ. We're going to look inwardly, and then we're, going to, then we're going to see we have a commission as well. Today, as Christians, we need to look out for how we ought to live. Like I said last week, I gave you five reasons we're to look up. Number one, in verse three, you've died. You died. The old man is dead inside of you. Number two, your life is now hidden in Christ. You belong to him. He's the one that holds you. He he preserves your salvation, and the the world does not understand who you are. Number three was Christ is our life. He must be your focus. He must be your sole focus. Number four, Christ is coming again. Praise God, amen? He's coming back. And when he does, number five, we will appear with him in glory. But today, we're going to talk about breaking free from our past, and we must look out for sin. We must be aware of it. And we're focusing on verses five through nine. Why would Paul address this hideous list of sins to believers in the church? Well, it's pretty simple, because sin affects not only our relationship with God, but with others. And so Paul is addressing sins that will destroy relationships, and all sin does that. As you notice, sin within you must be put to death, Paul writes, or it will destroy you. Colossians 3, 5 in the New Living Translation, uh, the writer puts it this way. He said, "...so to put, so put to death the sinful, earthly things." lurking within you i like that word lurking because sin actually lurks it hides it's kind of deceptive and that that old sinful nature has stuff hiding in it that needs to be put to death because we've been buried with christ and raised with christ in newness of life we have the spiritual power now within us because christ is in us the holy spirit of god is in us that now we have the power we have access to the power to put to death these old sins the new life calls for more than just giving up a few sins or acting spiritual by going to church and doing good deeds we need to understand if we really have faith that Christ saves us, he doesn't save us for later, he saves us for now, okay? You are saved now. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are saved right now, in fact. And we need to live like it. Salvation doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. We've talked about this before. Paul addressed that. And while God's grace is greater than legalism, Paul writes and makes it very clear to the Roman church in Romans 6, 1 and 2 that we are by no means to continue on in sin. Listen to what he says, Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, he says. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It, it was perplexing to the Apostle Paul to have someone within the church to say, well, I can just keep on sinning because God's grace is so good. He said, how can that be? You died to that stuff. I, I admire this guy in the Old Testament. It's found in, the stories found in Numbers chapter 25. His name is uh, Phineas. He's a Levite priest. He's the son of, of Aaron. And at this time, he, you know, he, he was afraid not to deal with sin, and, and this priest dealt with it. Israel was, in the promi- was about to enter the promised land. They'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, right? You remember that story? They'd been wandering around, and they had all this. You would have thought they would have been rejoicing and praising God. Hey, we're about to conquer. But guess what's going on in the nation of Israel? They are marrying Midianite women. They are marrying other women from other nations. Exactly what God told them not to do. Okay? Why would God tell them not to marry people from other nations? It wasn't about God wanting to to prohibit the gospel from going to other nations. It It was keeping the idolatry from those other nations from entering into his people, which was what was going on. So God sends this plague. And there's this plague that comes, and it begins to wipe out people. People are dying from plague. It's like COVID on steroids. People are dying left and right, and God's anger is burning. In the midst of this judgment, and and people are are in the the temple, and they're weeping in the tent of meeting, and they're praying. And right in the middle of that, this, this arrogant, brash man, this Israelite, marches in front of all of them with a Midianite woman and goes into his tent and the people know they're under the judgment of God, and no one does a thing except Phineas. Phineas gets up, he picks up his spear, he goes in, into the tent, and he thrusts the spear directly through the man and the woman. You say, boy, that's pretty harsh. Listen to what God says in Numbers twenty-five, eleven about Phineas. Phineas has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. God's a jealous God because Phineas was looking up. He was recognizing that God is holy, holy, holy. He was looking out for sin that could prevent God's people from having the right relationship with him. Paul wants us to look out for these sins. That's why he's addressing them to the church in verse five. and we must slay these with the passion of Phineas. You know, anytime we see desires in our lives w- 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 that, are, that are evil and wrong and pointed in a direction other than Christ, we needed to be willing to take out that spear and say, "No, those have to die." You know, we're not to wound those kinds of sins. We're not to leave them. We're we're not to experiment with them. We're not to play around with them. We're not to rationalize them. We're not to explain it away. I was born that way. We are to instead kill the sin by the power of God. It can be done. As a believer, listen, God loves you too much to allow you to mess up your life. You see, you've probably heard this said before, God loves you and he takes you just as you are, but he loves you enough, he will not leave you that way. He demands you become more like Christ. Turn to him and trust him daily. That's why he wants you to live in purity and enjoy sexual expression within the bounds of marriage, which is one man and one woman. Did you know that Paul talks more about sexual sin than any other sin? We don't talk about it in church much, though, do we? There's at least three reasons I think Paul talks about it. I'll give you one. Sexual sin is different than any other sin, number one. It's different than any of the other sins. Why? What are you talking about? You, you remember the command that says, stand firm against the schemes of the devil, and he'll flee from you, right? You remember that passage of Scripture? I, I don't even remember where it is right now. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 about sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins, stand firm. This one, run away from. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own For you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The emphasis in years ago, you know, even even starting the tail end of when I was growing up into college, the emphasis became safe sex, right? I mean, it was just talked about, well, but, but listen, there's no protection for the soul, and God knows this. There's no protection for that. Sexual sin will take you farther than you want to go, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. This is nothing new. Okay, my wife and I were talking about this on the drive over here. There's nothing new under the sun. You know that from the book of Ecclesiastes. This isn't like something's happening in our country that's never happened to anybody else before. Roll back the clock into the Old Testament. There's a man by the name of Samson, he was a judge. And the, and the word judge just means deliverer. He was a deliverer for the nation of Israel. Samson had a problem, didn't he? He had a problem. He broke the Nazarite vow, but his problem that led to him breaking that vow was he had, he had an affection for women, foreign women. In fact, in Judges 14:2, the very first words out of the mouth of, of Samson in, in the whole of scripture, when we're introduced to him, of course, we're, we're talked about, they talk about his mother and his father, but the first words he says was, I saw a woman. I saw a woman. You know, And it led to his downfall, right? You, you know the story of Delilah but it started even before that because he was he visited another woman before that and you know he, he, it's a big mess go read the story sometime i encourage you to do that that was his downfall we need to understand sexual expression is not something we do it reveals who we are before god be careful so first of all three reasons i think he deals with that is sexual sin is different than other sins it's a sin you cannot win against number 2 sexual sin was and is everywhere. It it pervades society. Sex outside of marriage was accepted as the norm in Paul's day, right? It was actually part of many pagan rituals. I I don't need to tell you how perverted it is in our culture today, right? I mean, we're inundated with it all, all over the place. Uh, from homosexuality to pornography to adultery to fornication, it's on the internet, TV shows, movies. You know, we have been over-promoted this idea to the point to the to where the church is desensitized. Right? Even the church is desensitized to this. Paul is wanting you to understand: you have to address this, church. You can't just say, oh, well, it's just the way our culture is. No, 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 no. Culture never defines the word of God. The word of God defines what the culture is doing wrong. You don't look at the culture and say, well, I guess this is out of date. No, the word of God says your culture is out of step with God. Number three, so sexual sin was and is everywhere, and, and it, it, there's nothing new under the sun, okay? That's been going on for centuries, millennia. This has been going on. But it exists today, and it needs to be the rest. In other words, and then the last thing is because Paul knew sexual sin destroys. Satan knows that if he can trip up someone in this area, it will utterly wipe out his life. And he knows he can tempt most anyone with this type of sin, i.e., go back and see King David, right? You know his problem? His problem started with his eyes. He looked out. He saw this beautiful woman bathing on her housetop named Bathsheba. The problem was is Bathsheba belonged to somebody else. He belonged to, She belonged to Uriah. And David sent for her. And all those sins that David committed from covetousness to murder to adultery it wiped out his family for a period of time it led to anger within his own family you see marriages are destroyed and families ruined on a regular basis because of infidelity and sexual sin and and this was the downfall of, of samson and solomon he's like well i can remember one guy in the bible that didn't have this problem named joseph right and Potiphar's wife came after him and he ran right He gave us the picture of what we should do, run away, run away. And he got to go to jail for it still because he was falsely accused, but God exalted him, right, to the rightful position to help rule in Egypt. And so we must trust what God says to do, run away from it. Paul lists these sins that we're to put to death here in this text, and if you want to follow along, you might want to make a few notes about them. Number one, he lists... The first thing you need to put to death is sexual immorality. Well, what's that? It's a general term that refers to any form of illicit sexual behavior. We derive, the the Greek word that's used here, we derive our word pornography from that word, if that makes sense to you. He's saying, put away any kind of pornography. Put it to death. And then he goes on, he says, he, he lists impurity. This impurity is, is nothing more than a mind that is marked and filled by sensually suggestive thoughts that read sex into almost the most wholesome of situations. And then he lists lust. Put that to death as well. Lust seeks quick fulfillment of all what it wants right now. Love, takes, love itself takes work. I, I've, I've worked with teenagers, I don't, I don't know how long, as long as I can remember, and, and, and you've probably heard them too, they're like, oh, we're in love, right? We're in love. And you just want to say, oh, honey, you don't know what love is. You don't. Because I, and I've told some kids this, I said, no, 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 you're really not in love, you're in lust. You're in lust. You're wanting the desires of your flesh to be fed and and met right now, and as long as that happens, you're in a good relationship. Kind of, but it's unhealthy, right? But what does love take? Real love takes work, and it deepens over time. Lust focuses on the senses. Love uses the senses to cherish the other and to nourish the soul, and that's hard. Those of us who've been married a long time, that's hard work, and we're not good at it. And I have to be the first one to confess, I'm not as good at that as I need to be. Well, what's another one that he lists? He lists evil desires. What is that? That's our physical desires that are divinely given, but will become evil... When it's motivated by this old sinful nature, God is the one who created sex to be beautiful, to be enjoyed, so that we would would be able to participate with God in procreation so that that he would allow us to have images of him that were made in his image and we could participate in that procreation. But when our, our evil fleshly desires meets that something beautiful, we corrupt it. We ruin it desires lead to deeds. We must purify our minds and our hearts so that our desires are made new as well. And God does that work through the person of Christ who's living within us. The last thing he, tells, he addresses is covetousness or greed, which is idolatry. Greed or covetousness is the sin of always wanting more. Would you say our culture has that problem? I mean, all of our, our TV ads, everything that we see, we see, oh, well, so-and-so got this, you know, they got this beautiful house. Man, that's great. I wish I had that. Oh, they got this car. Oh, that truck. Oh, I wish I had that. Or, or, you know, and we're never satisfied with what we got, ever. That covetousness creeps in. And by the way, going back to my example of King David, he looked with his eyes and he coveted. Evil desires bore root in his heart and he took what should have been godly and honorable and he defiled that marriage bed because he lusted in his heart and he was impure and he, and he marched right into sexual immorality and he went even beyond that to the point of murder of Uriah, the man that, that was the, the wife of Bathsheba. So Paul is urging the church to put to death, these sins. Why? Because they, they will lead you to more and more sin, which he said, covetousness, is idolatry. These things, things that take the place of God. Anything you have in your life that consumes your thoughts, your actions, and, and your mindset that is above God in any area is an idol. That, that pretty much hits us all, doesn't it? I mean, that, that hits me I mean, if I think too much about my job, or if I become consumed with that, or do I have enough money, or do I have enough stuff, or do do I have enough retirement, do I have this, do I have that, you know, is my health good enough, am I going to Anything that consumes us to the point to where it, it takes possession of our thoughts and our mindset becomes something we are greedy and covetousness over, we're covetous over, and it becomes an idol. Be careful. Verse six, let's continue on, Paul states that because of these sins, the ones he just listed, the wrath of God is coming. Now this could refer to a couple of different things about the judgment of God um, that that we bring. Maybe it's stuff that we bring on ourselves. Paul would also write in Galatians chapter six, verse seven, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap, right? If you're going to sow a seed of spinach, chocolate doesn't come up, does it? It just doesn't happen. I wish it did. I wish chocolate was as healthy as spinach, but it's not. But anyway, that's, that's beside the point. So whatever you sow, if you're going to sow in sin, you're going to reap what that's, that is you're sowing, that result of that sin. Well, there's, a, there's another kind of wrath of God that's in Romans 1.24. And, and then God in that passage, I mean, in, Paul in that passage in Romans 1 is talking about the judgment of God that's coming on people who continually reject God and his authority, okay? And so Paul says they're without excuse. They know there's a God, why? Because of all the creation around. And it, and it culminates in the, in the worship of self. Okay, we like to talk about it being homosexuality, but that's really, I'm going to worship the thing that looks the most like me. That's what it culminates in. And in Romans 1:24 it says, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts. Listen, when God gives you over to your sin that you refuse to repent of, there is a passive wrath of God that can be seen there. It's passive in that he doesn't give you what you deserve right now, hell, but it's passive in that he doesn't even bring conviction for that sin any longer. That's a dangerous place to be. Well, also the wrath of God is coming in the future, right? We know from the book of Revelation that Jesus is going to come riding on that white horse. There's a sword coming out of his mouth. This is one of my favorite pictures to paint and all of all of Scripture. He's on this white horse. He's got a name written on his thigh. Nobody knows but him. And he's coming victoriously, and all the Christians ride with him. And it says he'll smite the enemy with the sword coming out of his mouth. In other words, the spoken word of his mouth brings his wrath and judgment immediately. Just as he speaks creation into existence, he, springs, he speaks wrath and judgment. That wrath is coming. And the one who doesn't know Christ as Savior, they are children of wrath, as referred to in in Ephesians 2.3. If one simply does not repent and believe the gospel, they will experience the righteous wrath of a holy God. That should bring fear even to the hearts of the believers for our friends who don't know Christ. I pray that our, our churches wake up and realize we must declare this good news and this gospel. You see, if you're involved in immorality, in in sexual immorality or any other immorality, you have no hope of coming out of it other than through Christ Jesus. He is your hope. And Christ follower, if you are in the midst of something you shouldn't be involved in, hear me right now. Don't do it. Stop. You'll regret it. Confess it to God, whomever you're wronging. Be careful with what you put into your mind. There's some great tools out there, men, if you need to get a web blocker or something to monitor your devices. Let God's Word filter what you see. Let Him help you. The Bible is clear on its teaching on this, and it can be summarized simply as this. Abstinence for the single, monogamy for the married, and homosexuality is never acceptable. In fact, in Leviticus 20 and Romans 1, it's considered an abomination. The problem is, is many of us want to pick on the sin that we don't have a problem with and we want to condemn that one and we don't want to put to death the others. I want to encourage you, put to death the whole list that Paul gives. And know that God's wrath is also balanced with within his holiness, by what? His mercy, his grace, his compassion, and his love. This sin that God hates so much that he would smite a nation with a plague is the very sin that Jesus bore on the cross for you. That's good news. So as much as God hates sin, his love and grace wins. Amen? Why? Because he who... who, was without sin, became sin on our behalf. And all of it was dumped on Christ. And God demonstrated his love for you in this. While you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of this this sin that we have in our life, Christ died. And he displayed a great love for you jesus is the perfect embodiment of both grace and truth and we see it in the picture in the new testament when you know the, you remember the people that drugged this woman before jesus and they threw her before him and said hey this woman's caught in adultery what should we do with her you remember what jesus did he didn't start yelling right away did he, he knelt down on the ground he started writing in the, in the dirt and he just said he who is without sin cast the first stone what happened? The wise people started leaving first, right? Then no one was left but him and this woman. And he stood up and he said, it's okay. Keep living like you want. My grace abounds. It's good. No, he did not say that. Did he? No, not at all. His words were this. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's what he told her. Grace and truth together he, he basically says look I'm the, I'm the only one that can condemn you i'm still here and i don't but stop sinning trust me follow me verse 7 reminds us that these kind of behaviors that we're looking like they belong to our old life they should not be part of the pattern of our present living look look at that verse 7 you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived past tense. You get it? He's saying, this is who you once were. This is not who you are now. Now, we need to put all these things in the past and refuse to resort to a lifestyle that no longer reflects our true identity in Christ. Verses eight and nine, Paul goes on to tell us uh, to rid ourselves of social sins. By the way, which we kind of dismiss as, oh, these are the little ones. If you thought you breezed through the last list, you're like, hey, I got all those, no big deal. But this is worse. These are harder for us to get our mind around because we all struggle with all of them. Imagine here taking off old smelly clothes. One, one time, long time ago, it's been uh, probably 10 years ago, I went on a camping trip with some men. And it, when I came back, you know what happens when you go camping, you, you don't get a shower, you're out in the middle of nowhere. I came back and it was like, I, I smelled so bad I was offending myself. Okay, I was like, oh man, what do I got to do? I mean, I came in the door and I'm taking off clothes and, and I, I'm going to get a shower and, and I really didn't want to touch the clothes. I got done with my shower and I went and put the dirty clothes back on. No I did not. I didn't even want to touch them to lift them to put them in the washing machine. They, they, I was like, no, 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 that's gross. I'm not, not doing that. That's the picture that Paul is painting here, take off the filthy, nasty sin and have nothing more to do with it. Let Christ clean you, and he will. That's how we're to treat the old life. Before we can put on the new, which by the way, we're going to talk about in, 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 a, in a week or so, we're going to talk about those of, of taking off this old. When it says take off the old, it's talking get rid of. That, that word rid means immediate, decisive res, rebel, uh, resolution, excuse me. So get rid of them. What are we to take off? He gives another list. In case you, you thought, well, that, that list was easy, he lists anger. Anybody ever struggled with that? We all have. That's a continuous attitude of hatred that remains bottled up. Jesus said that, that even that hatred is an act of murder in the heart. And he talks about rage. That's, that's what comes bursting out. It's often uncontrollable. And then he talks about malice. You know, that's, a, that's an attitude of ill will towards someone. Even if it's a hidden hatred of the heart, which secretly says, oh, did you see what happened to them? Ha, ha, ha they deserved it. That's malice. That's to have no part in the believer's life. Ever struggled with that one? Me too. Slander. That's when we destroy another person's good reputation by lies and gossips and the spreading of gossip and the splitting of rumors. Then he says, filthy language. What does that mean? That's crude talk, abrasive words. It's often associated with swearing or sexual innuendo. And then number six, lying to one another. Why is that a big deal? It disrupts unity. It harms unity, destroys relationship. It tears down These behaviors have no place in the Christian life or in the church. They are part of the old life. We must rid ourselves of of these repulsive sins of sex and speech and attitude so that we can put on the attitudes and actions of Christ, which we'll talk about later. This is a long list of sins this morning, and I know it. But listen, know this. God's love for you is serious too. So much so that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins. On a cruel, a cruel death. He was beaten. You know, in the Old Testament, we're told in Isaiah, by his stripes we're healed. He took our beating for us. He took our punishment. He took the wrath of God that's poured out on sin for you and me. That's why on that day, it was a dark day. That's why there was a loud cry when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's because he took the wrath of God for you. He showed you that kind of love. Taking the wrath you deserved. So that in the place of what you deserved for that, you could now be clothed in the righteousness of God, covered by his blood, so that when God looks down at you, he doesn't see a broken person, but he sees a righteous blood covering of Christ, that's, and Christ says, that's mine, that, that, that's my child. Praise God, Amen. The call of scripture is for us to repent and to believe this truth and to believe that we can turn from those sins and trust God daily. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, oh, I pray that you understand today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you turn from trusting in yourself and, 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 and living in the flesh and be set free knowing that Christ died. Trust in the payment that he made for you. And that doesn't end. That trust That trust relationship goes on and on and on. Believe that Jesus Christ not only died for your sins, he is delivering you from them daily. I pray that you would recognize that this morning. Christ follower, how would you describe your relationship with Christ that comes by faith in him? Are you putting to death the deeds of the flesh? There's a There's a word that used to be used in the church years ago. It was called mortification of the flesh. That means destroying the flesh. That's what we're called to do. For those of us who are in Christ, we are called by the power and the spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the flesh that we might be sanctified or made more like Christ in his image. And Christ follower, if if that's you and you're struggling, which we all do, maybe you need to spend a few moments just in prayer this morning. Thank God for what he's done to pay for your sin. Ask God to deliver you from the flesh that you still struggle with. Paul himself said, I find myself doing the very thing I hate. And he wanted deliverance. Beg God for deliverance. He will set you free. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the hope in Jesus. God, help us to look up and see him and the power that he has, has God given us over sin and death. And God, you have seated him in this this position of a power and authority. And God, you have placed your spirit within the hearts of each believer, each follower of Christ. And God, we have the power from within, God, that lives in us by your power to overcome sin. God, help us to break free from our past. God, by not only looking up at you and trusting you, but looking out for the sin that so easily entangles us. And help us to lay it aside that we might run the race that's set before us. And God, that we might run in a way that we might win. God, help us to deal with our lives individually And God, in turn, because of that, corporately this morning, God, we we give you this time and we pray that you use it to help us to respond appropriately to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed. I I just want you to take time to reflect on what is God asking of me this morning? What sin is it that I still struggle with that, that I need God's help to put to death? Take time and pray about that this morning. This altar's open if you need to come. Brother Gary will be down here at the front. If you need to come and pray with him or with me, I'll be here as well. I pray you find yourself obedient to the Lord this morning. He demonstrated great love for you in this. While you were still in sin, Christ died for you. You come.